0: Hello and welcome back to the SA Pioneering Podcast. In this episode, our last episode of Series 1, we hear from Daniel Strickland who shared a talk on the prophetic call at the Salvation Army's Emerged Pioneer Gathering in May 2021. Danielle has served people firsthand in countries all over the world, from establishing justice departments and church plants to launching global anti-trafficking initiatives to creating new initiatives to mobilize people towards transformational spiritual life. Danielle trains, advocates and inspires people to live differently through initiatives like Amplify Peace, Brave Global, Infinitum and Women Speakers Collective. Her latest book is called Better Together, how women and men can heal the divide and work together to transform the future. Her podcast is listened to by thousands globally and closer to home, she's on the teaching team at The Meeting House. Currently based in Toronto, Canada, Danielle is the proud mom of three boys wife to Stephen and as an Enneagram 7 has been affectionately called the ambassador of fun. As always there are some great questions raised in this talk and we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you'd like to carry on the conversation please join our essay pioneering discussion group on Facebook. To find it search SA pioneering podcast on Facebook and it should be there. We'll also be sharing information there about series 2 which we hope to be releasing at some point in the very near future. So now let's hear from Danielle on the prophetic call.
1: Well, uh, folks, friends, family, it's such a delight to be with you. Uh, so thanks for having me. And it sounds like the whole thing has been just an incredible time. So. And what a beautiful centering uh, concept, right? Just the death and resurrection of Jesus, just like the essentials. Like what can we not do without what's the pivotal thing that will change everything for everyone, everywhere, including us. It's the, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It sounds so simple. Could it be true? Uh, yes, it's true. And I think something really beautiful uh, just in that. I had a vision a little while ago that I wanted to share with you. I thought it was for me maybe, but I actually think it's uh, for the church. I think it's for the army. And uh, it was a vision of uh, Samson. Uh, Samson's life. Um, so if you're tracking with the life of Samson, he's sort of the prototype salvationist, right? (laughs) He's the, uh, even from his mother's womb, never had a drop of alcohol. He's uh, a Nazarite, he's set apart, a little bit different, a little bit odd. And then really he's he's grown up as a disruptor. You know, that's what he does. He just disturbs the false peace or the status quo uh, in order to bring about justice and rightness. So he does that and he does that through strength, you know, through great exploits in his life. So uh, the word that I felt the Lord uh, told me uh, a few years ago, and then I've just kind of been living into it since then, is this prototype of Samson. Great exploits. He's amazing. His strength comes from uh, his calling and his purpose. And his whole life is about disrupting the status quo to bring about peace, uh, well, or to at least bring about justice. And uh, at the end of his life, he's bound, he's compromised, he's blinded, he's uh, mocked by the enemy. You know, he just kind of is in a terrible, terrible place. And he gives, he prays a final prayer. And what marks Samson's final prayer differently than the rest of his life is that the prayer suddenly is not about him. The prayer is not, God, please restore me to like my former glorious self. Like the prayer is not make me a great leader who will bring and lead and judge the Israelites. No, the prayer is take me. Like, the prayer is a prayer of surrender. It's like one last time, but this time, without me at the center, I'll actually go down with this one. And in that one prayer, and this is what the scripture says, is that that prayer and that power that came on Samson in that one final act took out more of the enemy than in all of his previous acts put together. And I felt like the Lord said, "It's just time to give yourself away." And that, I think, is this this modeling of the death of Christ, like the willingness to fully surrender to the purposes of God, even if it is, uh, you know, our own death, even if it is our own death, even if it looks like our death, to give ourselves over to the bigger purposes of the Lord. And so I feel like uh, definitely for the Salvation Army, you know, one of the things I felt like for Uh, the last probably 10 years of my officership, was I was just going around to churches who were saying to me, please tell us how to do this. (laughs) Like, tell us how to love the poor. Like, tell us how to center our church ministry on mission. Tell us how to empower women. You know, so pretty much all I do with my life in these days is just give the keys of the Salvation Army's DNA away to the larger church There's something about giving ourselves away in this season that I think the Lord's speaking to us. I think even the way that we pray needs to pivot. We've prayed, do it again, Lord. But what we mean by do it again, Lord, is restore us to this like glorious front Nazarite fighter for justice, this like, you know, this super strong big movement. And I think, you know, some beautiful things, the disruption of the Japanese brothel invasion is one of my favorite stories, right? Where literally they named that campaign, the Salvationist in Japan, the Agitation Campaign. You know, it's all so very Samson, isn't it? Just like, we'll just march into the Philistines camp and like burn up their field and then see what happens. I mean, it's all just so glorious and I love it. But this final movement of Samson is so much different, so different. His posture now has shifted. There's humility. There's even like so much humility, probably there's even like humiliation, right? Like there's mm-hmm. really a sense in which I don't have much left. And so what I do have, I'm willing to pour out and I'm willing to give away. And there's just something about that posture, I think, that is absolutely key. So the, the story that keeps coming back to me when I was praying for this event and thinking about you guys pioneering new ways of doing things um, was uh, way back when I first began my ministry. I was leading a drop-in center uh, in downtown Toronto here, and I was part of a core uh, called Toronto Temple. It was an old, glorious, traditional inner city core. It met in a big theater where THQ used to be. But it was pretty much empty. It was like the remnant was there, which I don't know if this is familiar to anybody, but, (laughs) (laughs) and the remnant is all doing the same thing we've always done. You know, there's still a songster brigade and a little band and we're still playing glorious solos and, you know, there's still a preacher, but we're all like literally the whole place is in uniform. So we're all just talking to ourselves. And, um, And there was a character that I met in the drop-in center named Red Dog. Red Dog is an indigenous Canadian, loads of pain, inebriated most of the time, houseless uh, for the most part. And we made friends. He was such a character. Even inebriated, the guy was just on fire. I mean, he was so such a character filled with life, funny, joyful. He tied bells onto his shoes so that people could hear him coming. You know, he's that kind of guy. And I always remember every couple of weeks on Sunday morning, we'd be in the middle of our, I guess, performance. I don't know what we were doing, but, you know, the songs would be singing, the band would be playing, the scripture would be read, whatever. The preacher would be preaching and we would hear the bells. We just start to hear the bells. And we knew that Red Dog was coming and what Red Dog would do is stomp in with these bells on his feet down the middle of this big theater. And he would just start yelling, Danielle, he would say, play me the song, play me the song, Danielle, play me the song. And he would not stop. And we all knew he would not stop. Like, and we all knew collectively that it was easier to just play the guy the song than it was to try to like stop the commotion. So everyone, like whoever was doing whatever, they would just pause. (laughs) It's like we press pause in the meeting and everyone would look at me and say, Danielle, play the guy the song. And I would walk over to the piano and I'd play a G chord. Or I say, if I was in a sassy mood, I'd play G sus, you know, just to worship it up. And um, I'd play the chord and then everyone would just start to sing Amazing Grace. How Mm. sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And Red Dog would just keep marching all the way down to the front to the mercy seat and he would throw himself on the mercy seat really quite literally sometimes he would stretch himself all the way out on the mercy seat and he would weep and weep and weep but and then he would when we would finish the song literally just like this big disruptive interruption in the middle this would happen probably every couple weeks or every three weeks once a month at least And uh, Red Dog would get up. If you looked around the crowd, you looked around the Songster Brigade or the folks that were hanging out, you would see people kind of like acknowledging that this is awkward to one another, like wide eyes, or sometimes you might even feel an eye roll. And even on the inside of you, you would would be like, oh, for Pete's sake, you know, like we're in the middle of. (laughs) We'd be done singing the song. Red Dog would dust himself off. He'd get up, wipe away his tears, and then march out of the building. And I... For the life of me in this season, this, I can't shake this story because I feel like that disruption was an invitation and we missed it. I I feel like, you know, play me the song, Danielle, play me the song. Like what other song is there to play? You know, what other song is there that we're playing exactly? Like, there's only one song. We're a salvation army. There's only one song that we have, and it's the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the song, the amazing grace of God, the welcome disruption of this confrontation of our own ego or strength or what it is that we think we can do or our glorious ascension. What I missed was not that I wasn't supposed to make space for the marginalized, but that I was supposed to let them lead me. I was supposed to let them lead me. Like the disruption wasn't meant to be just a pause in our performance. The disruption was meant to be a a change, a pivot. Uh, It was meant to be a recalculation. It was meant to be like, what are we even doing here? Like what's happening here? A couple of years later, and I should say like 20 years later when I say a couple of years, it just keeps me feeling younger when I say a couple of years. (laughs) I'm at an inner city uh, core in Edmonton, Canada. There's two drunk guys of uh, also indigenous folks at the back of the core and they're really loud. And then the one guy says to the other guy, where are we? And the other guy really loud says to him, we're at the Salvation Army. And then the other guy says to back to him, What are we even doing here? (laughs) And then the usher starts to like come over and try to like settle them down and like, you know, show them to the door or whatever. And I felt like the spirit of the Lord said, that's the question from me. That's my question. What are we even doing here? Like, this is not, this is a disruption, not for business as usual. This is a holy disruption. This is God disruption to disrupting your business as usual. What are you even doing here? what is this thing about apart from throwing ourselves on the mercy of God? And I think that this, you know, this story, this invitation, sort of this stamps and even vision of like, how do I give myself away even around like, what even are the questions that we're asking ourselves, right? Like w- w- when we, when we think about doing things differently, when we're pioneering different work or we're trying to partner with the spirit in doing different things, I've noticed even in my own life that some of the questions I ask are like, what will it cost us? What will people Mm -hmm. think about this? Like um, what will this mean for me personally? Like (laughs) uh, it's, it's a struggle of what are the risks involved? You know, like, um, and I think we're asking all the wrong questions. Yeah. Honestly, I think they're all the wrong questions when it comes to the work of of Jesus in the world and resurrection power in the world. And of course we see this in the life of the disciples, right? When they reckon with their already kind of living dead men, they're wanted, their reputations are done. Now they're associated with Jesus, but because they know that the principalities and the powers have been disarmed, that, that, that the way down is actually the way into the kingdom of God. You know, I think Janice Joplin's the theologian who put it like this, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And we see this sort of in our early history, the Salvation Army pioneering days, you know, we were the despised, we were the marginalized, we were the ones interrupting business as usual, the church with bells on our feet, you know, we're because we had nothing left to lose. There wasn't, you know, this wasn't something that we, uh, we had to ask about our risk management team's approval. You know, we were like already, we were already lost. We were already the despised, of the despised. And I think this is what happens to the disciples, you know, where they've lost their reputation, they've lost, you know, their mom's best hopes for their future. Like there's really nothing left to lose and there's only Christ to gain. Paul puts it like this, right? Even life or death, doesn't matter. The only thing that's on my mind is Christ and Christ glorified. So I wonder what it would look like for us to pause business as usual, to see the disruption that is, I think, the marginalized you know, I think the the exposure of uh, the have and have nots in the season, you know, I think even in terms of like sheltering in place, you know, I'm talking to all my friends, like, isn't it lovely you get this time off with your family? There's whole heaps of people who have nowhere to go and no family and no uh, place to stay. You know, the disruption of the exposing of these kinds of things is a disruption from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the Lord has always used marginalized people to speak to power to disarm the power the the powers and principalities always so the question becomes for me is how do i allow the voice and the people from the margins to disarm the power in me like to lead me from my religious activity and my business as usual to the and to throw myself on the mercy of god How, how do i do that what posture do i need to get like samson um, and get back into uh and get and, and let the the margins lead me not to make room and space for the margins to have their moment in my company but to change what i'm doing to follow their lead how do i do that and and i think that's you know, that's going to lead us to a confrontation every single time. And and yeah. I want it'll lead us to a confrontation socially, religiously. It'll confront some of our practices and theologies and all kinds of things for sure. It'll confront external things um, like, you know, it's going to confront social constructs and ways that we believed about things. But it's also mostly I find the fight is inside of me. It's a con- confrontation with my power. It's a confrontation with my posture. It's a confrontation with my um, really just lack of patience uh, for even the time spent and what we're doing and feeling like I want to do something that matters. And but again, it's all focused on me. Uh, but that Samson moment where we're willing, you know, because of what we know about the ways and the will of Jesus and that the way of Jesus is a way of dissension, not ascension. The way of Hercules is a way of ascension. So we have to decide which way we're gonna go. And Samson at the end of his life found a, a way to, to, to descend. And that was the difference between all of his previous exploits in this one was those previous exploits were ascending, 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 ascending. And then finally at the end of your life, you see him choosing a dissension and the dissension is the way of Christ. And there's just no way to make this easier. It's just a death. You know, we die with Christ so that we are resurrected with Christ. Uh, there's no other way to, um, to find resurrection power apart from dying to self. That's it. I mean, we even know this. I mean, I, I wore Billy Booth here cause he said the measure of, uh, of power is not, is, is through the, the measure of surrender. You know, how much of yourself are you willing to give up? Um, to do things in the way of Christ. So I, I, I'm not quite sure how this works out, uh, in a Salvation Army context. I, I, I do know that there's a lot of death that needs to happen to, uh, you know, things that have be, become our strengths. You know, I think even when we have conversations about Salvationist distinctives, I always think like, I feel like the only distinctive the salvation army should ever have is the death and resurrection of Jesus or Jesus. Yeah. People were a salvation yeah. people. That's our yeah. distinctive. Yeah. So I even wonder, like some of those things, I think the confrontation that will come, the disruption that will come will to be disrupt our religious sensibilities and the culture in which we, the things that we hold so dear, uh, you know, like I, you know, a big part of my wrestling was around uniform, even and uniform becoming sort of an idolatry within our movement um and how Jesus can be recentered in the ways in which that we do things but i also think it's not just about proclaiming jesus death and resurrection it's about demonstrating Jesus' death and resurrection in our lives in our leadership in our posture in our ministry in our movement um and you know i really wish there was a way to just demonstrate the resurrection without the death i re- You know, like, I think that's all of our wish because we can't figure out how dying to ourselves actually leads to resurrection power, but it does every single time it does. So how to figure that out is always going to be a struggle. It's going to be a disruption. And, um, I didn't even get to the text that I had for you, but the the text that I had for you was Mark chapter five and it's Jesus going to the other side, um, where no one's supposed to go, at least good Jewish people don't go there. And, um. He goes to the other side and is confronted right away by uh, an individual who's possessed by a demon. And there's a confrontation that happens, a confrontation. And I think that every time we bring Jesus to the other side, there will always be a confrontation. And because we are having a power, um, we're having a, a power clash with the powers and principalities. So they're not even, it's not even just like corporate power, it's principalities of power. And uh, they'll always, there's always going to be a fight and Jesus is always going to win by the way, because he's sovereign, yeah. his resurrection, Strong. nothing, uh-huh. you know, he's always stronger, but we've got to side with Jesus. And one of the questions that's been keeping me up at night is, you know, this guy, this one individual gets transformed, you know, and it's a miracle. He gets delivered from demonic possession. And there's so many things going on in Mark chapter five that are fascinating. The, the name of the dev- the name of the demon is legion. And legion is the name of the Roman occupying forces of the age. The demons asked to be sent into the pigs. The pig, the wild boar is actually the symbol that's on the flag of the legion that is occupying Jerusalem at that time. So, I mean, we're taught there's so many things going on in this text as usual with the life of Jesus. There's all these, it's a confrontation of all the powers, the military power, the economic power, the engine that's feeding the oppressor the you know the political power the spiritual powers i mean all the things are being confronted which is what jesus does and the pig farmers come back you know we know the pig farmers are not feeding the jews cuz jews don't eat pigs so we know they're feeding the oppressors right they're feeding they're feeding the roman legions and their pigs are all gone they've drowned in the sea which might sound familiar to some folks if you read your exodus story you'll you'll know and the oppressor in the end will always be drowned in the sea right god's sovereign and, um, and the pig farmers look at the man who they could not contain or restrain. They see what's happened to him. They look at the loss of their pigs and the cost it was to them. And then they beg Jesus to leave. It's a surprising ending. It's a surprising ending. So we have seen, so this is what we pray sometimes. We pray like, God, if only your power would be displayed people would get it. You know what I mean? Like if only your power would be demonstrated, we'd be liberated and delivered all of us. But actually over and over again, we see in the scriptures that there is a moment that everybody has. And I think the pig farmers had a lot of power and a lot of favor and a lot to lose. So the same conversation with the rich man comes to Jesus and said, what must I do? And Jesus says, oh, this is no problem at all. Just give everything that you've, uh, that you have to the poor and come follow me and the rich man goes away. He leaves. He cannot. These guys are begging Jesus. Would you please leave my region? What does it take to beg Jesus to leave your region? What does it take? And this is a question that I think is on my mind when it comes to Samson, when it comes to this death to self and resurrection power we can see the demonstrated power of God in our midst and still beg Jesus to leave our region and our movement because it's too costly to us. It's too costly economically. It's too costly politically. It's too costly with our PR strategies. It's too costly for our reputations. It's too costly. I don't know. But what's really interesting to me is that the power that's demonstrated is a power that's demonstrated to a marginalized and oppressed man. You don't get more unclean and more marginalized than the man that Jesus freed. And that is not enough for power, for people of power and people of privilege to actually see the disruption and the deliverance of this man as an invitation for them to change. But man, I pray in my heart, I pray that I would see the disruption as an invitation That I would not just make space for it and pat myself on the back for being so kind to allow marginalized people to meet Jesus on my shift and pause my songster thing or whatever worship I'm doing, my sustained G chord, that I would play the song, that I would live the song, that I would never, not ever, no matter what it costs me, uh, beg Jesus to leave because he's causing too much of a fuss, too much of a disruption, too much of a cost to my own life and ministry and organization and whatever it is but that I, would, um, that I would beg him to stay and keep delivering us from evil and keep, keep disrupting the powers and principalities and disarming them so that we could see liberation and deliverance come to all of us together.